0: And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul and shield, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
1: In your presence is fullness of joy. What a great reminder of the good news of our salvation in Christ. The very fact that we can be in the presence of a righteous God is a result of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and his intercession for us before the throne of grace, even now. So we uh, appreciate and enjoy this opportunity to walk in real and active fellowship with our Father God, our great Abba, and uh, alongside the Lord Jesus by the indwelling power of the Spirit of God Himself. And uh, what a blessing that is. In His presence is fullness of joy. I wonder if you know an eight year old child. You know anyone who's eight years old? that's a child, what if, I think you probably don't know anyone like this, what if there was an eight-year-old child still nursing? Something has gone wrong, if that were to happen. Yeah, we don't expect people to continue nursing. Well, the book of Hebrews uses that fact as a kind of an illustration of a spiritual principle of the Christian life in the text we're going to look at today. So I just want to look at the text. I'm going to go back to uh, some of what we looked at last time. Uh, so we're in chapter five in our study of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to move into the first few verses of chapter six today. So here we go. This is, uh, Hebrews five. I'm going to start with verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again about the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. By the way, the word for child in this instance could be translated with the word infant means a very small child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and faith toward God, and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. And this we will do if God permits. Now this text is leading into a text in Hebrews 6 that is famously difficult. This text that comes next and we'll talk about next Sunday uh, is one of the one of the bits of scripture that is most difficult to understand. Well that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, here the author of the book of Hebrews says there's a lot to talk about, <laughs> but it's hard to explain. A lot to talk about about the high priesthood of Jesus, about the Melchizedek priesthood of Jesus. And he's going to say a lot about it, and he says right here at the beginning at this sort of transition point, uh, he's talking about how this is going to be hard to get through to you people. And then he says something interesting. It's not because it's particularly difficult information, or it's not because I can't figure out how to explain it. It's because, he says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull. <laughs> of hearing, wow, that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Uh, I this might be easy to explain to you, except you're so dull. Now, I'm a preacher, and I try to avoid telling the congregation that they're dull. This guy, he's not afraid. Now the word dull or dull of hearing here, it has a very specific meaning and it's, it, it's not like they've become deaf as in hard of hearing, like something's gone wrong with their ears. It means really lazy listeners. You've become lazy listeners. This reminds me of everything he said in the book of Hebrews up until this point, and he's going to repeat it again going forward. He keeps saying, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. It's at the beginning of chapter 2, so we should pay much closer attention to what we've heard the beginning of chapter 3. So we should pay much closer attention to what Jesus Christ, who is what we've heard, according to chapter 1. This is always about hearing the word of Christ, and he repeats that in this text. The word of Christ uses that expression. He has another expression here, the word of righteousness. Same word. This is the gospel, and he's saying, you've become dull of hearing. I'm trying to explain the details and implications of the good news of God's grace to us in Christ, and you aren't listening very well. Now, I think one of the things we want to understand as we approach this difficult text for next Sunday is that he's dealing with a group of people. And he probably wouldn't say this about everyone in the group. He uses a very interesting expression here. He says, uh, the word that's translated in this uh, translation, since, since is, is actually the literal meaning of the word since, as in since 1920. In other words, it's a time reference. You could translate it with the word when. So you could say this. This is hard to explain when you've become dull of hearing. In other words, some of you (laughs) have become dull of hearing, while some of you may not be. When you're dull of hearing, this is hard to explain. Uh, one of the things we need to understand about the book of Hebrews, and it's especially important when we come to interpret the warning passages that are spread out in the book of Hebrews, is that uh, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with a mixed audience. And he's heard that people are considering sort of shying away from Jesus and the church and Returning to Judaism and the synagogue as a way to avoid uh, persecution that is anticipated. And so we have a mixture of people and a, di- a variety of attitudes about how to deal with the possibility of real suffering in the in a person's association with Jesus and with Jesus in the church. And he really has a hard time with this. He he can't see how anyone that actually knows Jesus could possibly imagine departing from Jesus. And so uh, we have these various warning texts, and... They're, they're sort of in this category of, look, if, if you become dull of hearing, pay attention. If you fall into this category, I'm concerned about whether you even know Christ at all. So, uh, what's the problem here? Well, he has a lot to say. They've become dull of hearing. By this time, he says, you ought to be teachers. Well, this is why I started with the idea of an 8-year-old who's still nursing. An 8-year-old should not be still nursing. An 8-year-old might have a glass of milk with his dinner. And that's kind of the idea in this text. Uh, Sorry, I keep losing my place. Uh, this time you ought to be teachers. You've been in the church in some kind of association with Christ long enough that you should not still need milk. Uh, So he goes on, that by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you to teach you again, and we might say again and again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, in English, uh, we can't really catch this very well, when he says, you need someone. In in Greek, they use a construction that's kind of like they do in Papiamento. You have need of. In English, we just say, you need something. Uh, in Greek, he, uses, he, he says it this way, you have the need of. Why is that important? Well, because it's a, it's a present active verb, which means they're sort of insisting on it on their need. So it's like this. We're talking about our eight-year-old who's still nursing. Why? Because he insists on it. What I need is milk. That's the idea in this text. You only want milk, and you reject solid food. So, if we put a dinner in front of you, you won't eat it. You you insist on milk. You persist in someone uh, in needing someone to teach you what the basic. This is the word arche. It's the word for first. the The first things, the basic structures, the elementary is the one way this is translated. The elementary. Ideas of the oracles of God. What a strange expression that is, oracles. What are the oracles of God? Well, uh, I've got a couple of references for you there, uh, one in Acts, one in Romans, that use this term, the oracles of God. It's a form of the word uh, logos, the word, but in this case, it's like the, the sayings. And I believe in addressing a Jewish audience, everyone would know he's talking about the law of Moses. And those references, Acts 7, Romans 3, both use that expression to refer to the sayings of God in Moses, who gave the law. And so he's saying, you're stuck in this sort of basic structures of the word of God, the oracles of God, the law of Moses. There's something to move on to from that, and you haven't moved on. It says you're, you're, you only want milk, and you reject solid food. And this is a way of talking about their apparent desire to, in a sense, revert to Judaism in the place of Christ. Then he says this, uh, everyone who lives on milk, that's a way of saying everyone who continues with just milk, is very interesting expression unskilled in the word of righteousness because he's an infant. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, we're talking about a problem of persistent immaturity. We're talking about a person who insists on remaining a baby And in a very real way, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying something like this. Don't be a baby. Uh, And he says they're unskilled. And that word, unskilled, could also be translated unacquainted, inexperienced, in or with the word of righteousness. Oh. The word of righteousness is a reference to the gospel. The word of the righteousness of Christ imputed to people on the basis of faith, word of righteousness. He's saying the gospel hasn't really taken hold of you. Oh. Uh you're unacquainted with it or inexperienced. You haven't actually engaged, maybe at all, with the word of righteousness in Christ. Oh. This is just a way of him saying, I'm concerned about whether you are really converted. Because really converted people grow up and begin to consume solid food and not insist on milk. And we're going to define all these terms a little bit more. So he says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, We're going to come back to this verse. We're going to skip over it for now because in chapter 6, at the beginning of chapter 6, we have a, a further description of this persistent maturity, and it's in the form of this command. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, et cetera. Now, this, this uh, expression, this verse is actually kind of hard to translate. Uh, so I'm going to try to give you uh, a little more than you get in these, in the English translation here. It's, it's something like I've got it in your notes in the bulletin. So letting go of the basics. And by the way, that's the same word that he used to refer to the basic structures of the oracles of God. So he's saying, you need to move on from there. He says, letting go of the basics of the word of Christ, we should carry on into the fullness of the word of Christ. In other words, the expression here, the doctrine of Christ, the original word here is logos, the word of Christ. The word of Christ that is Christ. And so he's saying you, you need to move forward in the gospel. You, you need to move from a, a basics, in the gospel, to the fullness of the gospel. And here's what he's talking about. He goes on, he says, not laying again a foundation. So it's like this. You're putting up a building, so you pour the foundation, nice concrete slab, and then the next day you come back and you pour the foundation again. Well, you're never going to have a building. If you... Here's the thing about drinking milk. Drinking milk is supposed to lead to eating food. There's something gone wrong. The milk isn't really serving its function if, it, if a person doesn't grow up into eating solid food. In fact, typically, at a very early age. Well, so <clears throat> what's what is the this foundation? Well, it's really uh, it's really the grounding of the Christian faith, trusting in Christ in the Old Testament scriptures in Judaism. And what we have here in these phrases that are really uh, a bit lost on us today because we're not first century Roman Jews, but if we were, we'd understand what he was talking about. He says, first of all, we we do get the first thing. He says, repentance from dead works to trust in God. Okay, well, that... That we understand. That's kind of the essential move of a Christian, isn't it? To turn away from uh, earning my position before God to trusting God for it. And then he says uh, this interesting expression, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection, and eternal judgment. Well, again, at the end we come back, yeah, we understand resurrection, eternal judgment, that in the end, everyone will be raised and everyone will be judged by God. And of course, those things were found in ancient Judaism. You remember the guy who came up to Jesus and said, so, what do you say about the resurrection of the dead? Some, The, the liberal scholars say that's not a real thing, The conservative scholars say it is a real thing. What about the resurrection of the dead? And Jesus affirmed the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Paul, the whole uh, 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is about, well, if there's no resurrection, then there's no sense talking about Jesus at all. And so uh, the Christian faith affirms this more ancient teaching that, in the end, God will raise everyone from the dead to eternal judgment. Well, in the Christian faith, of course, this is given this is given much greater depth because now we see in the person. Of Christ, the Son of God made flesh, the actual resurrection. And the first fruits of the resurrection in His body. And so uh, the idea of the resurrection now is a resurrection either in Christ or apart from Christ. Eternal judgment. So there's a basic understanding in Judaism of these things, and there's a deep understanding of these things in Christ. And so he's saying, look, (laughs) Christ is where the fullness of the word of righteousness is found. Uh, So he's talking about how in Judaism you have the, the foundational things, but these things are actually realized. Now, in the rest of the book of Hebrews, he's going to keep on saying this, talking about the temple as a place of uh, foreshadowing, the, the earthly representation of the actual temple in heaven, and all of these things that are not really getting the whole job done, which is done in Christ. This is the distinction between the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Melchizedek. In the priesthood of Melchizedek, of Jesus, oops, I shouldn't have said that exactly that way. We'll be back on that. But anyway, in the priesthood of Jesus, sins are literally, actually cleansed. Well, in our text here, he talks about instructions about washings. Well, if you go read, I don't know, Exodus and Leviticus, you'll find all kinds of washing going on. Wash, I read about one sacrifice where they, they make the sacrifice and then they have to wash the intestines of the animal that has been sacrificed. Washing, washing, washing. Oh, and laying on of hands. You realize in various texts in Exodus and in Leviticus, before you sacrifice the animal, you lay hands on the animal. It's sort of a representation of some kind of of the animal becoming the substitute for the person. Well, all of these things... The whole temple worship thing is utterly fulfilled on a whole different level in the sacrifice of Christ and his presentation of himself as a sacrifice before God in the heavenly actual temple. And the writer of Hebrews. He's going to keep on talking about this in the next few chapters of the book of Hebrews. So he's, he's saying, don't get stuck in the foundation and miss the reality, the building, the solid food. So he says, you're unskilled, unacquainted with the word of righteousness on that basis. I wonder if the gospel has actually gotten a hold of your heart. That's what that expression means. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. So, that's the basics. That's the milk, this uh, Hebrew foundation of the gospel. But the building has arrived. And so we come to this understanding of the the fullness. So he says we should move from the basics to the fullness of the word of Christ. Now, the subject is the same, and we often are tempted to interpret this verse as to say, well, I'm converted by the gospel, and then I move on to something other than the gospel. Oh my goodness, we better be careful, because that is not the intention of this verse. We are moving on to the fullness of the Word of Christ, of the, the sacrifice of Christ, the life of Christ, the incarnation. I guess I better start with the eternal decree, the incarnation, the righteous life, the sacrificial death, the resurrection, the ascension and coronation, the intercession, and the still to come return of Christ all for the sake of reuniting us to God in himself by the Spirit. All in the service of reconciling humanity to God to fulfill our Purpose and design from beginning of creation. And so the fullness is still the gospel. In other words, this is not telling you when you read this verse, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, it is not telling us that Christ is an elementary doctrine and that from him we move on to something else. No. This is saying we move on from the basics and the foundational things we learn from Judaism into the fullness of Christ. From the basics of the word of Christ to the fullness of the word of Christ. It's very important because in this text we might be tempted to read, especially the way it gets translated into English, we might get tempted to read a real misunderstanding onto this. So we're not repeatedly laying the foundation. We're not sticking on the basics. We're not getting stuck in the basics, but we're moving on to the fullness, the completion, the perfection, the maturity, the solid food. Well, what is that? It's a pretty short expression here. He says, solid food, and I'm going back to the end of chapter 5 now, solid food is for the mature. The word for mature is the teleos word. It means the complete person, the whole person. The mature, the full-grown person. Those Here's the description. Those who have their powers of discernment, Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Mature people have their senses well trained, they have well trained discernment, (laughs) senses, they have a, a perception that is well-trained. This word for trained is really a good word. It's gymnazo. It's the word from which we get the English word gymnasium. This is a term for athletic training. And so these folks are trained. I know a guy... Hi, Bob. I know a guy who has run, I think several times that race they call the Iron Man. You know that race? It's a triathlon, and it's the triathlon of all triathlons. Frankly, it's ridiculous how... Oh, I mean, they swim like... I'm gonna get this wrong, but you'll get the idea. They swim like three miles in the ocean, not a swimming pool, in the waves, Three miles. Well, I'm done already. I'm, I'm maybe going a mile, and I'm going to need to get on the boat. They swim three miles. And when they're done swimming, they get on a bicycle and ride it for a 100 miles. And one of the places they do this is in Hawaii. I've seen this on TV. and they, It's on the Big Island, and they go across this desert, a tropical desert, into blazing hot sun, or 100 miles on a bicycle. And then, (laughs) when they're done with that, they get off the bicycle, and they put on their shoes, their running shoes, and they run a marathon. I mean, come on. You know, people run marathons. I knew this guy in college. He ran a marathon in Seattle. And he was, like, wiped out for the whole next week. But this, this Iron Man I, I understand why they call it that. Well, nobody shows up at the Iron Man untrained. Nobody just says, "Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to run the Iron Man. I hear it's today." Nobody. It involves hard, Training for a long time. That's the idea of this word, gumnazo. It means mature people have trained their senses, their perceptions. Now, when you're going to train for swimming, you swim. When you're going to train for bicycling, you ride a bicycle. And when you're going to train for running, you run. In other words, the training is the same as the doing. What are we training here? Our perception of things, our sense, our ability to perceive a certain set of things. So their senses have been trained to distinguish. This is the word for for judging, for splitting, for analyzing, for correctly dividing, to know the difference between this thing and the thing next to it. They're, they're trained to distinguish something. What is the thing? to distinguish between good and evil. (laughs) Really, you have to train for that? Yeah, really, you have to train for that. You know, you're not just good at it. Things appear good to you that are actually evil, and things look evil to you that would actually be good. And we're not naturally in our fallen human condition We are not good at this. We are untrained, unskilled in the word of righteousness. We don't distinguish well between good and evil. Now, everybody has some kind of basic sense. But this week, maybe today already, you've had a hard time. Figuring out what would really be good in this situation. And what should I really carefully avoid? You know, we're all dealing with this COVID virus thing, and we're all dealing with the rules that people are making to deal with this COVID virus thing. Here's something. Man, it's pretty much impossible to get this right. We think we've got it right, and then we learn something and we figure out, oh, well, we should have done that instead of this. It's very difficult to know exactly what to do. What is good and what is evil? Now, one of the things I'm trying to point out here is distinguishing between good and evil is not exactly the same as distinguishing between right and wrong. The the writer could have said between right, righteousness, and sin. He didn't say that. He said good and evil. They're not exactly the same. What's the difference? Well, good means something like beneficial. And evil means something like harmful. In other words, these mature people have trained themselves to see what's the good way to go in a situation, and what would be the bad way? What would be the beneficial, profitable way to go, and what would be the damaging or harmful way? Now, right and wrong are certainly related to these things, but they're not exactly the same thing. And this category of good and evil is a little bit bigger than the category of right and wrong. Certainly, right is good, and (laughs) wrong is evil. But there's more to it than that. A mature person, a person who understands the gospel, who is experienced and skilled in the word of righteousness, trains in discernment. Trains in discernment. Now, how do you train in discernment? You discern. (laughs) Just like if you're going to run in a bicycle race, you ride a bicycle to train to ride a bicycle. And so how do you train your discernment? You practice discerning between good and evil so that you become good at it. By the way, if you try to do this all by yourself, well, good luck with that. We need the help of the community of Christ in this, do we not? We need the instruction of the Word of God in this, do we not? We need to not only train, but train smart. Now, I'm not an athlete. <clears throat> Maybe you can tell. I'm not an athlete, but I've known a lot of athletes. And I I knew this guy, a swimmer. And They had these programs for how to train to maximize performance at the race. So they didn't do the same thing every day. They didn't just get in the pool and swim. They also had a coach analyze their stroke and correct them so that they're swimming more efficiently. They train smart. They don't just swim a lot. They try to swim better. They try to figure out what good swimming looks like and how they might pull it off. They also eat everything they're supposed to eat and they don't, oh, they're training between, they're discerning between good and evil. What they should eat and what they shouldn't eat in order to maximize their performance at the race. So there's a lot of learning involved in discernment. And if we're going to learn to discern, if we're going to, train ourselves to discern. We need to practice and we need to be coached and we need to be educated about the discernment between good and evil. Now, here's a problem. I've already talked about this just long enough that we're all forgetting that we're talking about growing in the word of Christ into the fullness of the word of Christ so this isn't ultimately about discerning good and evil it's about discerning good and evil in maturity in Christ in other words it's always and always will continue to be about my fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit so I've I've, just want to close with this last expression here. This is not moving away from the gospel, but moving forward in the gospel. That's very important because so many of us Christians visualize the Christian life in this way. The gospel is how you get saved. And everything else is just about me sort of reading the Bible and trying to do what it says. So I move away from Christ and I come back to myself in spiritual growth. Well, that is staying on milk, that's coming back to dead works. So, what I'm talking about, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, is not graduating from the gospel, but moving forward in it. So, I have some questions about how to practice discernment that will help you, I hope. So, here's one. How does my spiritual trust in the love of God, in Christ, address this situation? So I'm having a situation. I'm living my life, I run into something. I stop and think, how does the gospel impact this? The my trust which is born by the Holy Spirit in the love of God. So how does that oh the love of God makes me safe in absolute terms? Okay, well, if I'm safe then in the love of God in Christ by the Spirit, how does that change how I look at this decision? I don't have to be quite so self-protective, do I? I can be loving because I am loved. The love of Christ, the word of Christ, liberates me. That's very important, and I need to practice this. Well, I can practice this. And practicing this will make me mature in discerning between good and evil. If I am, in fact, here's another question, if I am, in fact, reconciled to God, my Father, in God the Son, by God the Spirit, how do I respond to this person? Or this situation? It's just another way of saying the same question, right? If I am restored to fellowship with God, the living God, creator of all things, and he is my Abba Father, how does that change how I see this good and evil situation? How do I discern things differently in the light of that? I want to practice looking to God in Christ by the Spirit to discern what's good. Practice looking to God. So I'm faced with a situation and I'm not sure. You know, the scripture says right there in the book of James if anyone lacks wisdom, oh, that's the same. Wisdom is the capacity to discern between good and evil, to do what will be helpful and to avoid what will be harmful. Wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all. No questions asked. If you go to God and you say, hey God, I need wisdom for this, God does not say, "Eh, I don't know if I want to give it to you. What are you going to give me? No. It just gives it. He just gives it. Now, what that is is an exercise of trusting what God says over what I think. I trust the word of God more than my own judgment. So I practice looking to God in Christ to discern what's good. I move from the law as condemnation to the law as direction. Now, the, the pre-Christ understanding of the law is simply this. It is the thing that condemns you before a righteous God. It is where he spells out why you deserve the punishment he's going to give you. But when you come to Christ, Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf. Christ lived the righteousness and you get the credit for his life. By faith. And so you're no longer under the condemning law. This is what Romans 8 is talking about. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the Spirit does what the law could not do, which is make you right. So I move from the law as this imposing, impossible burden to the law as something like good advice. Oh, so maybe I want to learn the word of God. (laughs) I just want to learn the oracles of God as thoroughly as possible, as deeply as possible, but always in Christ. And so I'm free from the condemnation of the law, and I'm free to obey from the heart. The Scripture says in the New Covenant, God's law is written on our hearts. And this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'm moving away from the basic just do what I tell you, to discernment of good and evil on the Grounding of the good news of God's grace toward me in Christ. So I come to love to learn and practice employing the word of God to discover how the love of God operates in everyday life. I'm going to say that again because this is really kind of important. I love to learn and practice employing The Word of God. This is training. I'm studying and trying to do. This is James talking about being doers of the Word and not just hearers. To discover how the love of God operates in my everyday life. That's important. It's not just... What's it say? Okay, how do I do that? That's the old way... What's it say? Okay, how do I do that? No, the reason I'm interested is because I want to see the operation of God's love for me in me, through me, into the world. I want to understand. I want to be skilled in the word of righteousness. I want to be skilled in the discernment of good and evil by the practice of the word of God for the love of God. You see, we have this tendency to think, well, I got saved, now I have to obey. And then obedience becomes a burden, and Jesus said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the opposite of how we live. John says his commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, his commandments are not burdensome. How are they not burdensome? Only as an exercise of faith. Faith working through love. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, look, keep moving. This is kind of like what he said in chapter 3 and 4 about the people coming right up to the boundary of the promised land and then turning away. They should have kept going. And he's worried about some of the folks in the church. He's saying, are you standing on the boundary of the promised land and still making up your mind about whether you want what God wants to give you? I'm concerned that you might be unskilled in the word of righteousness. And if you're a believer, of course, there's great counsel in this text to say, move forward. Keep examining the good news of the gospel and keep looking for ways you might put it into practice in your life. You know, the Bible says the whole law is summarized in one word, love. Love God, love your neighbor. Walk with God, love your neighbor. So a person who's mature is a person who's developed the skill of seeing how to do that in the real world. And so I encourage you, Christian, to continue to trust God. You're gonna come across situations where you don't know what to do. You can't tell good from evil. You don't know what the smart way to go is. Ask, ask, and practice. Try it, and see. And then learn from whatever you practice. Ask, look to God in Christ, by the Spirit, and then practice the love of God in the world. Father, we thank you for your love for us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be mature, to move on to solid food, to look into the Word, to see how to live in and express this amazing grace in this world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.